This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. So today we're moving on to letter number 29 on the critical condition of Marcellinus. And so Seneca is basically starting the letter by talking about his friend Marcellinus, who I believe might have been somebody who was, uh, you, know, you know, being instructed by Seneca on philosophy and such things. Uh, and so Seneca is starting by saying, well, listen, he's uh, not really coming around anymore. I'm not really sure if he's listening. So I'm going to be careful about whether or not I speak to him because I don't necessarily think that he's willing to hear truth. And so he starts to have a conversation around how one should instruct people on wisdom, how one should uh, be careful with one's words, uh, you know, when instructing others and and being discerning about the kinds of people who we're actually admitting into our kind of circle of influence, you might say. Uh, So very interesting ideas. And we're going to start by reading a, a few of the first verses here, and we'll see what we can pull apart. So he says, quote, You have been inquiring about our friend Marcellinus, and you desire to know how he is getting along. He seldom comes to see me for no other reason than that he is afraid to hear the truth, and at present he is removed from my danger of hearing it, for one must not talk to a man unless he is willing to listen. That is why it is often doubted whether Diogenes and the other cynics, who employed an undiscriminating freedom of speech and offered advice to any who came their way, ought to have pursued such a plan. For what if one should chide the deaf or those who are speechless from birth by illness? But you answer, why should I spare words? They cost nothing. I cannot know whether I shall help the man to whom I give advice, but I know well that I shall help someone if I advise many. I must scatter this advice by the handful. It is impossible that one who tries often should not sometimes succeed. This very thing, dear Lucilius, is, I believe, exactly what a great-souled man ought not to do. His influence is weakened. It has too little effect upon those whom it might have set right if it had not grown so stale. The archer ought not to hit the mark only sometimes, rather he ought to miss it only sometimes. That which takes effect by chance is not an art. Now wisdom is an art, it should have a definite aim choosing only those who will make progress, but withdrawing from those whom it has come to regard as hopeless, yet not abandoning them too soon, and just when the case is becoming hopeless, trying drastic remedies. End quote. Okay, so some very, very interesting ideas that Seneca's putting out there. And, uh, you know, he's basically starting by saying, listen, there's this guy, he, you know, I'm instructing him and he doesn't really come around anymore because he's, he's become uh, he kind of annoyed with the truth, you might say. He doesn't want to hear the truth. He's afraid of hearing the truth that I'm telling him. 
Uh, and so he's basically saying, listen, because of that, I'm going to withdraw myself. You know, I don't need to spend this time, this energy uh, trying to instruct somebody who is clearly not listening. And some of you out there will probably be thinking, you know, I've heard this idea before. Where have I heard this idea before? Well, it's a very common idea in our culture. You've heard this all the time. Remember, uh, don't throw pearls before swine. Right? It's a classic line from the Bible, right? And it's such an interesting principle to think about, right? Because there is a real question there of, you know, how how much are you going to how much energy are you going to spend trying to reform somebody who doesn't want to be reformed, who is blind to the ways that they could be reformed? And so really right now we're looking at this from the perspective of the instructor, the teacher, the coach, the mentor. And these people have to really get a sort of a, a sense and a wisdom about uh, when it is, what that point is when, uh, you know, they're instructing somebody who really doesn't want to be instructed, at which point it will become a losing game, you know, and all that's happening is you're just being drained of your own energy and getting nothing in return because, you know, a teacher has to get something in return from the student. Otherwise, it's not worth the teacher being there. and It's not even worth the student being there. And then we have to think about it from the perspective of the student as well. If you're a student and you're being instructed by somebody uh, about anything, really, you could say, uh, then you do have a responsibility in that relationship to show that you are worthy of the teacher spending their time, spending their energy with you, trying to instruct you in a new way that you can improve yourself, your life, a new piece of information that would be helpful for you and for others. You have that responsibility. And so Seneca goes on to say, well, you might say, well, shouldn't I just, you know, go and use all of my words and try to teach as many people as possible, scatter these words by the handful, right? And, uh, and, and the argument you might give is, uh, well, you know, if I scatter so much, I'm going to hit sometimes, right? But Seneca has a really beautiful rebuttal to that argument. Because he goes on to say that the archer ought not to hit the mark only sometimes. He ought to miss it only sometimes. That which takes effect by chance is not an art. And I just really love this analogy here. He's giving us the analogy of the archer. The teacher must be like the archer in that they shouldn't be missing a whole bunch of times and only sometimes hitting the mark. What they should be doing is choosing their words extremely carefully, seeding them carefully, right, to students who they have vetted and know will actually listen and pay attention to what they're teaching so that they hit the target more often than they miss it. And in fact, so that they only miss it very rarely, right? And that then becomes the art of teaching or the art of hitting that mark, right? And, uh, and he goes on, this is really beautiful. He says, now wisdom is an art, it should have a definite aim, choosing only those who will make progress, but withdrawing from those whom it has come to regard as hopeless, yet not abandoning them too soon, and just when the case is becoming hopeless, trying drastic remedies. Okay, so wisdom is an art. Instructing wisdom is an art form, meaning there is actually a process, there is a destination that we are taking people to, there is a process by which we get there, there is a process by which we can teach people how to hit this target called wisdom, you know, and in doing that, in choosing our words carefully, in choosing the students carefully, making sure that they are the kind of people who are going to listen, who are going to pay attention, who are going to be receptive to this teaching, 
that's how we can learn how to truly hit the target more often and, uh, and to miss the target less often. And I have to say that these words hit me hard because I think that I find often that I'm the kind of person who does seed a lot of words, right? I'm that kind of person who uh, casts them out by the handful, hoping that eventually I'll say something that resembles something wise that will be used by the people who are hearing me, right? Uh, but then I think of somebody like Sharon LaBelle. Now, Sharon, one of the reasons why I absolutely love working with her is that she is the kind of person who chooses her words carefully. You, you watch her, you know, in an interview, if you ask her a question, she thinks about her response. She gives a response that is clearly thought out in that moment, nonetheless, right? But she chooses her words carefully. She chooses her sentences carefully. She speaks with uh, a real purpose. And in doing so, she speaks with great authority and you listen when she speaks and you pay attention when she speaks and you feel an obligation to actually, you know, be receptive to the wisdom that she's giving. And that a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, she's very mindful, you know, she's very careful with the words that she uses. And, uh, and I just love that about her. And one of the other things that I love about the way that she uses words is that sometimes she'll just say one sentence and that's her answer. She, she knows when to stop. <laughs> she knows when to stop and to say, that's it. That's what I'm going to say. And I really love that about her. And so it's just interesting for me to reflect on this wisdom that I'm learning from Seneca now and think, hmm, what kind of teacher am I? Maybe I could do well. And I've been thinking about this for a long time, by the way, as I've worked with Sharon is I could do well to really spend a lot of time with Sharon and to learn how to seed my words carefully and to learn how to be mindful about, uh, you know, what I'm putting out there. And look, I'm doing it again because I've been on the same idea for about uh, two minutes now. So anyway, I'm going to leave this episode here as it is, you know, just have a think about these things, have a think about whether you're the instructor or whether you're the student, uh, you know, how could you change the way you are either receptive to the information you're receiving or to the way that you are giving information to other people? And how are you going to change the way that you teach or the way that you receive information as a result of this wisdom from Seneca? Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you next time.